0: Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. We are in the book of Daniel. Um, We've been there for one week. Let me get this going, Um, which has been great. And we're going to go through the the first six chapters, which are like six different narratives here for Daniel, six different stories, Um, sometimes Daniel, sometimes Shadrach and Abshak, was it? (laughs) Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Abshak, I'll take that one as well. (laughs) So um, we're going to see these guys um, as well next week when they get into the fiery furnace, so it won't be a kid's church lesson, but it'll be a really powerful lesson as well. But we're not going to get there today, we're going to... Get into chapter 2, but before we get there, um, let me just uh, help, us, help us think about this. Holding power is a dangerous thing in human hands. Holding power is a dangerous thing in human hands. Uh, Lord Acton was a British politician and historian from the 18th century, and he made this quote about power to an Anglican bishop in 1887. He said this, Power tends to corrupt And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men, even when they exercise influence and not authority. Still more when you superadd the tendency of the certainty of corruption by authority. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We're going to be thinking about um, the ultimate power, which is God, who is sovereign. And what we're going to see here today is that He's a perfect sovereign, not corrupted in any way and holds all power in his hands as we reflect on this through Daniel chapter 2 today. So if you've got your Bibles, go to chapter 2, verse 17 to 23. I'm going to read from there. just would encourage you again, let um, me send out the Friday email. Really try and do the pre-read because we actually are spanning the whole chapter of 49 verses. So some of you might think, where are we going? But if you do the pre-read, you're sort of, you're in the zone somewhat as we do that. So we're just going to grab the middle section but we are going to talk about the whole chapter so verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed, was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night when Daniel, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God for ever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Father, we thank you that we can gather this morning. We ask now, Holy Spirit, you would just uh, open this word up to us as we think about the situation that Daniel's in, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then Lord, this revelation that you reveal to Daniel, but Lord also revealing yourself to be sovereign, sovereign to crush all the false gods of Babylon and showing them up. So we pray now, please help us as we see this through Daniel chapter 2. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Okay, so we are following on in Daniel here as God speaks to us uh, through this book. Uh, Context is that the nation of Judah, God's chosen nation, is in exile, is in exile, Uh, The kingdom has been crushed. Jerusalem and the temple lies in uh, in ruins by Babylon's ruthless invasion. A small bit of backdrop, if you want some more context, I would encourage you to go back to our website and look at last week's talk and you'll see a lot more context of how it actually got to that point. Um, But... That's where we got to. Uh, Judah has rebelled and rejected God's good rule, and now they reap the consequences of that is where we find them. At the very same time when this was happening and, and Daniel's in Babylon, Jeremiah, another prophet, a prophet of the Lord, was prophesying at this time that Judah should just simply surrender to Babylon. This was God's will. This was God's direction, what was taking place here. And he said you actually should settle, uh, surrender to Babylon and settle in for a while, according to God's word through Jeremiah. Because he said it'll be 70 years before anything changes. You'll be 70 years in Babylon. Go to Babylon, he says. Get married, build houses, and seek the welfare of the city where you live. But Judah wouldn't listen to Jeremiah either, as Jeremiah was sent by God. They rejected everything. Jeremiah's word, which was God's word. And now we find them here in this exiled state. Here's the prevailing thought, though, for them and the Babylonians. Judah's in exile and they're dismayed, terribly dismayed. They think God is dead because God is powerless. God could not help them to uh, to overcome Babylon. That's uh, That's where they are. Babylon, though, is very different. Babylon's filled with arrogant pride. They think their gods are invincible and they hold all power and no one can stop this mighty nation of Babylon. And they were the superpower of the world at that time. Then we see Daniel and his three, uh, three friends enter into chapter one uh, with godly resolve and conviction to uh, maintain their godly convictions and to stand up when they, and when the Babylonians have crossed the line as far as his life's, uh, what God says is concerned. And they do that really well. And, and they actually serve God as their true and ultimate sovereign in this way. Here's what we're going to land today. Uh, in the context of Judah, God isn't dead. They think he is. But he isn't dead, he's alive. He's not only alive, but he continues to sovereignly rule over the world and defeat all challenges to his rule, defeat all challenges to his rule. Now that passage that uh, Jared read out so well for us before is another picture here of God you know, calling upon these idols that you are worshiping. You know, can they tell the future? Can they predict the future? No, they can't. Why? Because they're nothing. It's echoed right through the Old Testament here. Let's jump back into it though. So, let's, I think, best if we sort of retell the narrative a little bit here in chapter 2 to actually set the scene for us for what's taking place here. And what we will see in this is God's sovereign power, as it were, bursting out of these pages of Scripture, particularly in chapter 2, particularly the hymn that Daniel. Not sure whether he sings it, but maybe he just called it out. So verses one to nine, we're not going to put these up, but I'm just sort of going to step through this chapter so we know where we're going. Uh, verses one to nine, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the supreme ruler of the nation of Babylon, the world's superpower, uh, he is sitting quite happily, sort of controlling the world as it were at this point in time, has these dreams. And these dreams shock him and they startle him. He just can't work out what's going on with these dreams. He's actually losing sleep over them. He can't shake these dreams from his mind at this particular time. He then calls for his enchanters, his astrologers, his magicians, his sort of dream interpreters to come and tell him what he's dreamed and what does the dream mean. So he's got, supposedly got all of his wise men to come and do this for him. Nebuchadnezzar gets really worked up because these magicians say, we can't do this. You need to tell us the dream first and then we'll give you the interpretation. How can we possibly know what you dreamed? Nebuchadnezzar says, well, you guys are a bunch of frauds and failures and phonies. And he actually gets quite irate. He actually says, no way. If you don't tell me what I've dreamed... I'll rip you apart limb by limb. That's actually what he says in there. He's quite an irrational guy. I'll rip you apart limb by limb and I'll tear your houses down stone by stone. So he's getting quite angry about this. These astrologers come back to him in verses 10 and 11 and this is what they say to, to King Nebuchadnezzar. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods. Listen to the next bit. Whose dwelling is not with flesh. And we're looking at that from the Babylonian perspective but it's a very telling remark there of the belief structure of these godless people. When I say goddess, they have their own gods, but not the true God. We have no kings. Oh, uh, we have no, we have gods, O oh, King, but they don't dwell with us. They're distant. They're a long way from us, and we have no relationship with these gods that we have in Babylon, other than to give them a few sacrifices just to appease them and to soothe them. But they don't dwell with us. That's the belief structure they have in their false gods. They're not a personal God. The king's not going to buy into this either. Verse 13, he decrees, I will kill every wise man in Babylon. You've let me down. i will kill you all. And of course, that includes Daniel and his three friends at this time. Daniel hears about this death order that he's now included in. And he asks the officials, why is this so urgent? Why is the king doing this? What's going on? And they tell him, all the king's had this dream and no one can tell him what the dream is. And Daniel steps up in a really faith-filled state and says, let me meet the king. I'll tell him the dream that he had and I'll interpret the dream for him as well. Daniel still doesn't know what's going on, but he goes in verses 17 and 19, goes back to his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and calls for an all-night earnest prayer meeting, as you would in that particular case as well. Calls for this all-night earnest prayer meeting. These guys get on their knees and they ask the Lord for mercy on their lives. And at the same time, can you please reveal what the king's dream is to us as well? At some point during the night, Daniel receives this supernatural revelation. This supernatural vision is given by God and then this vision God reveals to Daniel uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and what this dream means as well. Now that is a bit of an aha moment if you stop and think about the whole narrative because what did the Chaldeans say about their gods? They don't dwell with us, they don't give us these sort of things. Ah but we're seeing a different thing here about the God of Israel, the one true God. He does dwell with us. Daniel sings uh, a well, sings or calls out a hymn of praise, which we're going to come back to in a minute in verses 20 and 23. He hurries now because everybody's life's on the line, in a sense, to give the, the king uh, to tell him the dream and its interpretation in verses 27 and 28. Daniel says to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar, no human being can do this, no matter how wise he is. ...what the king is asking. It can't be done in our own strength, our own wisdom. That just cannot happen. But, Daniel says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has revealed this mystery to me and he's also revealed this mystery to you, O king. But you just don't understand at this time what's going to take place in the future. Verses 31 to 45, as I said, we're trying to cover the whole span of the chapter. Daniel gives this detailed description of the king's dream and then its interpretation... Now, some people think this is the main point of the dream here, trying to work out these, what are all these symbols and signs happening here in this little passage. It's not the main point of the, of the chapter, but there are symbols and images there that show that there are four other kingdoms or earthly powers now and also coming at some time in the future. And each one of these powers is going to be in a power struggle toppling one another. Now, there's really good thought as we look back on history, this is not the main point of the chapter, but you'll be probably asking, what does it mean? There's really good thought as we look back on the history that it's this, that the first kingdom that he sees in this vision is Babylon. It's his kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. The next one that comes along that sort of topples it over is the the Medes slash Persians, and history can show that that's what they did. They actually overrun the Babylonian kingdom. And the next kingdom after that, who's ever heard of Alexander the Great? Some historians here, maybe? It's the Greek kingdom that overruns the Medes and the Persians. And then the next kingdom after that is the fourth one. It's the Roman kingdom that actually overruns the Greek kingdom. So you can go back in history and see that. But that's not the main point here of this chapter. But there's a fifth kingdom as well. Verse 44. Now that God will set up his kingdom that will crush and destroy all these kingdoms, all man-made kingdoms. God's kingdom will be an eternal kingdom. And Daniel lets him know that as well as this follow on kingdom. Of course, in verses 46 to 49, the end of the chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he's, how did you do this, Daniel? You had no idea what I was dreaming. How did you do this? He's blown away by the wisdom of the insight that Daniel has received from God. And then King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges, Daniel, your God is the God of gods and the King of kings. Only a true and living God could reveal this to you and then rewards him, makes him second in command, only below the king for the whole of the Babylonian empire. And Daniel asks his three friends three friends, to come up with him, and they're placed in the positions of importance. Now, that is a glorious picture of God's blessing, placing his people right in the corridors of power in this Babylonian kingdom at that particular time. What a massive journey, though, for Daniel and his three friends, probably in about 24 hours. Their head's on the chopping block, they're on death row, earnest prayer meeting all night, get the revelation, and now they're actually second in command and in the corridors of power. An incredibly whirlwind journey. Here's the really important question, though, as we think about that narrative, what's it there for? What's it showing us about God? What are we meant to see here, or what is God trying to communicate about himself as we look at it? Is it just a good story about dreams and interpretations and guys getting promoted and people are getting saved? to ask this question, what are we meant to see there? First thing to know is, Daniel isn't the lead actor here in this chapter. It's all about him, but he's not the lead actor. God is the star of this book. God is the star of the book. And we need to remember again, as we're trying to see what God's trying to show us, let's remember where things are at. Judah's been smashed. They think God is dead, or at the very least, God's restrained somewhere, locked up in a prison. Babylon is the world superpower, doing what they like, when they like, how they like, filled with pride and arrogance to the max. At the same time, there's a sense of fear and anxiety here that's come over the king, even though he's the most powerful man on the earth, he's fearful and anxious. Part of that comes from dreams back then, that I read about earlier this week, that the gods would speak to them, or they, well, they believe gods would speak to them in these dreams and it would be really offensive to the god if they didn't sort of respond to that dream they got. So he's fearful that if I don't respond to this dream, something really bad going to happen. But he's fearful and anxious. That's the backdrop. God's on the line in many respects here. Who is going to win? The gods of Babylon or the God of Israel? And the big picture that God is showing us here that he is sovereign. He has no rivals. Nothing compares with the one true God. And he holds all power over everything, even the so-called gods of this world. Why, the gods of the Chaldeans couldn't help the magicians. We can't do this. Our gods, but they don't dwell with us, king. We can't do this. But the God of Daniel comes through. He does do this. Daniel receives this vision and answered a prayer, and he's blown away again by the sheer greatness of this God who does dwell with us. And then Daniel can't help but burst out, as it were, in praise for this indescribable God who dwells with us and reveals things. And the big deal that God wants us to see shines out of Daniel's hymn of praise in verses 20 to 23. And what shines out here. As we stop and just see these things, is that God is sovereign over every single person in the universe and over every square millimetre of matter and space in the universe as well. This is the big idea that God wants us to see as we're reading through Daniel chapter 2. He rules. He reigns. Let's look at how Daniel sees this in verse 20. Daniel's received this vision, he's received this revelation and he answers... Blessed be the name of God, for ever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. You are the eternal God, for ever and ever, and all wisdom and might belong to you. It's a, just an acclamation of praise. Verse 21 He changes times and seasons, He removes kings, and He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, and knowledge to those who have understanding. Don't ever read over a verse like that real quick. Stop. Think about what God has just said. Think about what he's actually just communicated to us as we read that. That's huge. That is massively huge. When we read and think about that, it's meant to grow God really, really large And we're meant to go really, really small. God ordains the times and the seasons that we're in. Now, I don't think he's meaning the time of the clock or the season of winter, although he does ordain that as well. He's got a bigger picture in mind there, because he tells us in the next line, God removes kings, God sets up kings. God removes kings, God sets up kings. God rules the times and seasons of kingdoms and power structures that we see. God does this. He is sovereign. What does that mean? Well, it means that God has ordained that Daniel Andrews is the Premier of Victoria for this season. God has ordained that Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is the Prime Minister of Australia for this season. God removes kings, God sets up kings. God has ordained that Joe Biden is the president of the USA or the leader of the free world for this season. God has ordained that Vladimir Putin is the president of Russia for this season. God removes kings or people in powerful places and he sets up kings. God sits over all of this. And in an instant... If God chooses to, he can remove them. Now that doesn't mean we necessarily agree with everything they're doing and often we can see a lot of stuff they're doing, we just know why because that is against what God would say. But we just understand God removes kings, God sets up kings. And when he does that, God is not cutting across democratic processes and our right to go to a ballot box and vote. God's not sort of forcing my hand over there and put an X in that box, no. I'm still making rational, responsible choices, but mysteriously God actually is working all this out. And he's fulfilling his purposes and his plans through that. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are only here because God has set you up. God has used you for his purposes. You are only here because of that. Do not think, King Nebuchadnezzar, or anybody who's in a position of power, that you're here by your wisdom or by your might. That's the wrong way to see it. You've got too small you've got no view of God if you're not even thinking like that at all. Or you've got too small a view of God if you're thinking, ah, oh, it's my wisdom and might that's got here. No. Not at all. You see, God is reassuring Judah here in the middle of this, through this demonstration of this interpreting this dream, that he's alive and well, that he's not dead, that he is sovereign, that he sits on the throne and he has no power. Sorry, there is no power to rival him whatsoever. Here's how Andrew Reed, um, the commentator, said about this early in the week. The real contest here, he's talking about this whole chapter two, the real contest was between the God of Israel and the gods of the nations. God was proclaiming himself to be the victor when Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream and its interpretation. God was not dead. They thought he was. God was not dead and could take on the gods of Babylon and defeat them. How could he defeat them? Such victory was inevitable because he alone is God. He alone controls history and he alone reveals mysteries. Judah weren't thinking like that. So God just began to reveal himself once again. I am the sovereign Lord who controls history. Verse 22, uh, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. God knows what is happening in the so-called darkness of people's lives when they think nobody knows what I'm doing. Or I'm not sure what's happening here. God actually can know, knows everything that's happened there, and He's able to reveal those things to us when and if required. And verse 23 to to wrap it up, to you O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for You've given me wisdom and might. So Daniel now just thanking the Lord, and have made known to me what we asked of You. For You have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel's just in thankfulness. Praise that, God, you've actually rescued us in this situation by revealing to us uh, the the king's dreams and to be able to interpret them. This is what God is showing Judah at this time. He is the Lord. He is sovereign. He reigns despite what you're seeing in the circumstances around you. Now, here's here's a quick thought. Sometimes people think about this or think this way particularly when it comes to events happening in our lives or maybe events around the world sometimes people think that maybe the devil is winning in some circumstances around the world that the devil actually he's winning this battle and God is powerless somehow to intervene and stop and do that people think that way sometimes particularly with say sickness or suffering taking place in someone's life people will think well it's the devil who's doing all this and God doesn't want it to happen but 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 it's still happening. And if you begin to think like that, that somehow the devil's got power or control in a situation like that and God doesn't want it to happen, but if it then keeps happening, well, there's a sense where you're saying, okay, well, God has the, obviously hasn't got the power to intervene there and do that. People think like that. They think that the devil's got power here and, he, and God can't stop what's happening in this situation. Super important that we never, ever think like that. Never think like that. There's not one element in this universe where the devil holds some degree of power that God doesn't have. God holds all power in every situation. Having said that, there's a massive amount of mystery in God's purposes and how he works things out. Some things are just unexplainable at times. Uh, We've got a niece who over the last two weeks, 16 or 17 years old, beautiful young lady, loves the Lord with all her heart just being diagnosed with a sarcoma cancer. The prognosis of this girl living beyond the next couple of years are very, very slim. I can't work that out. Beautiful young girl, loves the Lord with all her heart. 16 or 17, may not get past her 18th birthday. There's a lot of mystery in God's sovereignty. That doesn't mean I just toss it out. That means I just submit myself to him. So let's think about this then. God's sovereign. What's that going to do for us as we think about that, as we rest in that, as we try and comprehend that? Here's what Arthur Pink says about sovereignty. He says this, The doctrine or the teaching of God's sovereignty lies at the foundation of Christian theology and in importance is perhaps second only to the divine inspiration of the scriptures. It is the centre of gravity in the system of Christian truth. So true. The sun which, the, which all the lesser orbs are grouped, the cord upon which all other doctrines, doctrines of the Bible, are strung like so many pearls, holding them in place and giving them unity. It really is a big understanding that we need to grasp about God to actually help us in a well-rounded view of who God is in his sovereign control over the world and over our circumstances. We need to grasp this really well. It's super important. So to grow in our belief and understanding of God's sovereignty, which doesn't mean we'll understand every single action or or thing that God's doing. It just understands he is in control of all things, will bring amazing peace into our lives in the challenging times. God will breathe that peace into our souls. It becomes this rock that we can stand on no matter what storm of life would come at us or we have to go through. Here's a couple of things, that so- there's a lot of things that sovereignty does, but here's a couple of things. Firstly, sovereignty must grow a larger vision of who God is. It must keep growing God enormously within us, that he controls everything. To put us in awe of him, and that's a good thing for us. Because what does that do? That awe and that respect help us to be sober about our lives, to live in holiness before this great and glorious sovereign. Secondly, sovereignty speaks peace and comfort into our souls, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through. I don't have to be stressed or anxious over the political scene. I might think, well, they're not the guys I voted for. I'm not telling you who I voted for, but <laughs> they're not the guys I voted for, Lord. How do they get in? And we can lose, we can lose sleep thinking, "Where's this all this going?" We, we actually don't have to get stressed and anxious over it. God rules over all of it. Having said that, though, that doesn't mean I put my head in the sand and just have no care or responsibility whatsoever. Sure, when it comes to p- political stuff, I want to carefully make sure who I'm voting for and what they represent but I don't have to lose sleep because I think the wrong person got in or the wrong party got in power. I can actually rest. God, you remove kings, you set up kings. God, you remove governments, you set up governments. It just actually gives me a, a feeling of peace. Okay, it's not what I would have done, but you've done it. Or, sovereignty can do this. When life doesn't go according to my script, the way I would like to write my life, whether it's sickness or job loss or relationship failure or any other sort of off-the-script event, and we all have off-the-script events that come into our lives, I don't have to crumble and fall apart. I don't have to sort of just come apart at the seams and like my life is just absolutely unravelled. Sure, these things take the wind out of our sails when they happen because we are weak, we are frail, and we don't understand very often these things, why they've happened. It is meant to knock us off balance a little bit because that just reveals to us again my weakness. But I don't have to completely crumble, as it were, and fall apart. Sovereignty tells me, although I didn't write this in my script had it been my play to write this about, God is in control. He holds all things in his hands. And in God's perfect sovereign purposes... Everything he allows in my life, no matter how much mystery there is around about, everything he allows in my life is part of his plan to keep revealing himself to me and keep shaping me into the image of Christ. He's using all of these things, the good and the hard, to do that. Challenging. Now, I haven't had any life-threatening situations in my life. I haven't actually had that, you know, maybe that cancer diagnosis to say you've got six months to live or, or two years to live. But I've had plenty of off the script events that have taken place in my life one of them was my father he, he my father died when I was 15 I love a dad and we prayed and prayed and prayed that it be healed and he wasn't totally off the script for me we grieved we hurt which is natural but we did with hope sovereign hope it wasn't in my plan it wasn't in my script but it was in God's plan and it was in his script and ultimately, that speaks unshakable peace into our lives, unshakable strength into our lives. This is the sort of thing that God's sovereignty does. There is a God who's good and loving, and he controls things even when I can't see the end from the beginning. And it speaks that hope and that peace into your life. And this is exactly what the Lord is doing here in Daniel. They think it's hopeless. They think God is out of control. Judah's in this really dark place. They're in the control of these evil Babylonians. But God's showing himself again. Just through the interpretation of this vision that no God of the Babylonians could do this, God is in control. He rules, he reigns. Why is that important for us? Who knows what's ahead of us? I don't know what will happen tomorrow. My, My nephew's daughter two weeks ago had no idea she was going to get a sarcoma cancer diagnosed at the age of 16 or 17. We don't know what's ahead of us. But if we can grab something like this, this foundational truth and build it into our hearts and lives with great faith... It becomes a terror of strength for us. Here's what God would tell us to do in that situation. Sure, it's natural. When that circumstance comes, you are blown off balance, just like the people of Judah were just totally knocked off balance, just like anybody would be in that situation. But the Lord then tells us, just live faithfully and obediently before him in the meantime. Not trying to work it all out. Detail by detail, just live faithfully and obediently before the Lord in the face of that circumstance. Bring it before the Lord in prayer, just like Daniel and his three friends did. It was beyond them. In prayer, Lord, would you would you help us in this situation? And from there, what do we do? We simply entrust ourselves to the Lord, just as Sam changed that word in that song. There, Lord. Let us trust you, let us trust you, even when I can't see where this is going. And it's the confidence that we get to have that mindset of that submission before the Lord, living faithfully before him, bringing it before him in the prayer, and it goes back to the fifth kingdom that Daniel spoke about there back in verse 44. Let's read that together. And in the days of those kings, so that's the previous kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall that kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. That's the sovereign king that we serve who set that kingdom up. And it was set up 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. The kingdom is here, in part at the moment. Not in full, but a fullness is coming. And the King who's gone to the cross to defeat sin and death for me is the same King who's written every day of my life. I'm not sure what that'll be, but I can trust him. He's got his hand on every single moment of my life. That is a powerful rock to stand on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you again today that we can come to Daniel chapter 2. We can see Daniel and his friends in a really dark place. Lord, the death penalty is hanging over their heads. The nation of Judah is in a dark place. We thank you, God, that you come and you reveal yourself again. The sovereign Lord who rules and reigns in every aspect of our lives, even the dark places. So I pray, God, please, let that be renewed in our hearts today. You are a good, sovereign king. And you rule, Lord, for your glory and you rule for our good. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just let that speak peace into our hearts and our lives today as we think and reflect and meditate upon that. Father, we ask that. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well.